Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving the respect on the games that we love, the headlines of pop culture, and the meaning of it all. I'm your host, Wendy Burns, and my kind of say I'm worse was not able to be on for this episode. I'm joined by a special guest, Micah McDonald. He's been on the podcast in the earlier days. Like, if you've really been with us, like, like you can remember he's been with us from the earlier days, um, a former classmate of mine. But thank you so much for being back on, bro. Hey, I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to be on here. Yeah, man, definitely. And for this episode, we have a lot of topics to get into, um, some NFL topics, NBA, college football, also in the second half. Um, we're going to do a review with a couple of guests for the Irishman, but to start off with just thoughts on Baltimore's road win versus Tampa and just, you know, the drastic issues the Bucks are facing. Um, the Ravens were able to win 27-22. to 22. Lamar Jackson threw for 238 yards and a pair of second half touchdowns. And, you know, this also gives them consecutive victories for the first time this season. And on the other side, this is the first time Brady has, you know, faced a three-game skid. Um, since 2002, but what are your thoughts on this win for Baltimore and also just the, the issues we're seeing uh, Tampa Bay face and really kind of an unprecedented season uh, for, for Brady? Sure, so I think I think for me, the Ravens finally closed the game out. We haven't seen that in a the minute. They blew three leads earlier in the season yeah. um, that they should have had. And I, I think with me, with the Buccaneers, I don't, I'm, I'm confused of what's going on. Uh, and it, we would be remiss to think that the marital issues of Tom Brady does not contribute to some way in his play. Yeah. Um, their roster is still a top three roster in the NFC. Oh, for sure. So it's weird that they're three and five. And yesterday, I mean, they had, they had Luke Kadecki out. They had Antoine Winfield Jr. out. Carlton Davis, Russell Gage, Sean Murphy Bunting. Julio barely played. Nikeem Hicks was out as well. And so you have all of those guys out, but you still, even without those guys, have a talented roster and yet you can't pull off a win. And so it's it's concerning to me. Um, they're lucky they're in the division that they're in. Because they're I was still just about only, to say that. I was just about to say they're that. They're still that, only a... half a game out. <laughs> yeah, and very if the Falcons win, if the Falcons win, they're only going to be a game back, right? Mm-hmm. And so they they still have a chance. It, even Because this is probably the worst division in, in all of football. Yeah. Um, and so they're lucky that they're there. But I... I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned. And even though they have a really, seems to be a really easy schedule the rest of the way. They have three teams above 500 average currently that they have for the rest of the way. Everybody else has at yeah. least four losses. And so they have, they should have an easy road. But what we've seen up to this point, and they've lost games that they should have won. And their synergy is not there. Injury issues are not there. So this is a very big concern for the Buccaneers. They're just lucky that they are in the division that they're in. That's the only saving grace they have right now. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, when you also look at a team like Baltimore, who they're in the same division as Cincinnati, who's starting to kind of like, like to pick up pick up steam and look better. Like, what are your thoughts on, on their division and just kind of like how Baltimore can develop? Because we know this team has a lot of potential. They have one of the most dynamic quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson. But how do you think they can fare for, for the rest of the season? I think that's it. I think this one was huge for them. Yeah. Um, because, as you said, the Bengals are picking up now. Joe Burrow's playing like we know who a Joe Burrow can play like. Joe Mixon's playing well. Their defense is starting to play well. And so they need a win at this time against still a talented roster. So, hey, we can actually close out a game. Because they should be, at this point, 6-1. and one. They should oh, be. Yeah. They shouldn't have lost the games that they lost. Their defense hasn't been able to close, and their offense hasn't been able to just contain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem. The offense played contained and didn't play just to go out and ball out and win. Yeah. They would say, oh, we have a comfortable league. Let's contain now. And so that's that's one of their biggest issues. And we know Lamar Jackson's a, a, at least a top 10 quarterback, if not top five quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
he had to show that, hey, I can close the game out. And they almost didn't. Like, there was a very real possibility that the Bucks should have won last game. They could have blown blown that game. They could have. And so they better be grateful. But I think that should be a little bit of a morale boost for the the, uh, Ravens. They say, hey, we got this. It was still close, but we closed it out. Let's do this the rest of the way. But they're gonna have they're gonna have a tough time, even with Pittsburgh, even with Cleveland. They're gonna have a tough time winning that division. Um, so this is the right way to go about it. This is the right stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and now getting into thoughts on kind of two is returning the Dolphins win versus the Steelers and some of their offensive struggles. Um, Miami was able to win sixteen to ten and survive a scoreless second half in it. Um, this also snaps a three-game losing streak that be, that began on September 9th to September 29th when two was concussed in a loss at Cincinnati. Um, Jalen Waddle led the Dolphins with 88 yards receiving, and Tyreek Hill had 72. But what were your thoughts on, on Miami's win with Tua back? And also, you know, even though they got a win, the second half they were scoreless, didn't have that same kind of like fluidity offensively that that we saw from them in the first half in, in the beginning parts of the season. But what are your thoughts on kind of how, how that team is presently constructed? Well, I think very simply, they just need to get back to a rhythm. I mean, they haven't had Tua for several weeks. I think that's the main line for that for that offense. Yeah. Uh, but the biggest part, of, the biggest problem with that offense is they have one of the worst rushing attacks in the league. They're fourth worst in the league, mm-hmm. and so they really currently are a one-dimensional team. Um, yeah. Their defense was surprising at the way that they played and only giving up ten points because they have a they're ninth worst in yards per game. They're twentieth in defensive points per game, and so. Yeah. They have a low-tier defense, and their only saving grace is is those skill wide receivers in Tua because they're not doing it on the ground and they're not doing it on the defensive front. And the defense really showed up in a way that they needed to in Tua's first game back last week against a kind of mediocre offense. Um, but they've given up 24 points or more in four of their seven games. Yeah, that, That's a, not a good recipe to win, mm-hmm. especially in the division that they're in. And so – that that division, the AFC East, can still have three teams if, if Miami can bolster up and play some defense, but also have start to having any sort of running attack. Um, but it's going to be hard, especially in the division with the Jets, who are playing well, surprisingly, and the and the Buffalo Bills, who are just probably the best team in, in all of football. Yeah. And so you have to you have to win those games, and they're going to have a lot of tough games coming up. So if those teams can exploit that one dimensional offensive attack and can really go against that defense, it's going to be really difficult for them. But I, I think specifically for the offense, they just need to get back to the rhythm. Um, and we, we started to see it towards the end of the game, but we saw what happened at the beginning of the season. We know what they can be. Yeah. And when two is 100% healthy, I, I think that they have a great case for having one of the best offensive attacks in football. Yeah, absolutely. And and also when you look at at kind of the fact that this is a team that that does have I, I kind of like experience a really tough situation with Tua being out for the concussion concussion protocol. And then also how the league is dealing with quarterbacks being, you know, called on certain hits. Like what are your thoughts on that? Like the, the aftermath of the Tua concussion situation and also just how the league is, is calling certain hits on quarterbacks. Now that's putting defenders at, at kind of a, 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 a predicament in certain situations. I think it's really difficult for, especially for defenders, because they already have it hard enough on all the other rule changes in the past couple of years on not hitting quarterbacks in a certain place. You can't hit them low. You can't hit them high. You have to do a waist tackle. Um, and so, especially when it's moving at a speed like that, and you have mobile quarterbacks like Tua and Lamar and Jalen Hurts, it's very difficult for them to do a proper now modern day tackle against some of these people. Right. And some of these roughing the passer calls were not. Roughing the pattern. And oh, no. I think the league, the league recognized that. Even the, some of the head referees recognized that. 
But it's getting to a point where this is a quarterback league, and they already have it made for them. And now you're just hurting the defense more with calls that aren't calls. Mm-hmm. I think with the Tua situation, that's the risk you run with a mobile quarterback. Right. And that's the risk you want. And I think what garners more importance, you saw this in the likes of, of Joe Burrow last year and even this year, how many times he gets sacked. They don't – I think teams are starting to be more concerned with how good their offensive line is. Um, because you have quarterbacks that are incredibly valued and young. You don't want to see Joe Burrow injured like we did in his earlier career. We don't want to see Tua injured. We don't want to see Jalen Hurts injured. Mm-hmm. We don't want yeah, to see Lamar. future of the league, future faces of the right. league. We want it, We want them to deceive. We don't want a what if, what if situation. What if this happened? What if that happened? Right. We want to see them in their primes and see them play well, especially as as young guys in the league. Um, so the league is having an issue in trying to figure out how to do this and roughing the passer calls. Like what we've seen this season, all of them have all of them have been wrong. They have they they've been too soft. And so what does that do for the defender? It makes them hesitate. Mm-hmm. So that gives quarterbacks like like when Bryce comes in Bryce Young comes into the league. We saw the scrambling ability that he had against Tennessee even though they lost. Like amazing. I was impressed. Impressed. I don't like Alabama, but I was so <laughs> impressed by Bryce Young. But when he gets in the league, he just have he's gonna be able to do that more. And so it gives the quarterbacks an edge, but it really hurts defensive linemen. It really hurt, hurts outside linebackers that are rushing. Um it makes the defense makes the secondary and the cover linebackers play longer. Mm-hmm. And well, so it exposes more holes in the defense. And while we like scores, I still love seeing a staunch defensive front that can just stop somebody. But when you're a defensive lineman barreling through somebody and you don't have the time to stop, but now you have to have you have to think about stopping, it hurts that it hurts that sack the sack record. It hurts the sack uh, statistics that we'll see. Um, and so I think it's I think this could be a tipping point for that because it, it really could. I don't want to see some big 12 60 50 game like it's fun when you watch it but like i want to see a good defense i want to see aaron donald's of the world get their credit due yeah um and so you that's how they believe that that, that's how defense wins so many titles and we even saw that we we even saw that last year with what aaron donald's able to like you said against cincinnati right we saw that we saw that in peyton manning's last super bowl win that was one of the best defensives we've ever seen pittsburgh for years and years has gone to the extent they have because of their defense and so we see these defensive front carry the teams. Um, and that could be – if they don't address it, it could be severely tarnished and it could hurt the league if right. they don't fix that. But I, I'm glad that two is back. Uh, I think it's hard for – because as a football player, you want to play. I don't care what injury I have. I just want to play the game. Um, and so we don't know if Tua lied and said, I'm good. We don't know. We don't know what happened. But I that's – the natural and that's another thing night. players players can brush off things and be like i'm good even though right. they know they're not but they don't they don't want I mean, to, they don't want to sit there out. are plenty of stories in multiple leagues of like actually i had a i had a uh torn achilles for the last six weeks of the season i didn't tell anybody but i was hurting but i played it because i wanted to play and so it's hard to be that but yeah that's why you have to have good medical examiners medical trainers um but i think if you're a team you have to have the caution if it's a head hit you have to sit them out for at least a quarter mm-hmm. And you can evaluate on hit. I understand the need to win, but the, the care for your players is much more important. Um, and so they might have messed up there. I, I think it could have been much worse. Um, I mean, potential to end his career if they did it any worse. 
So I'm glad that that didn't happen. But it's it's a it's a tricky line right now in the in the NFL to see what what's repping Patrick Carl. How do we treat our quarterbacks? Um, it's it's a tough thing to figure out currently in the NFL. Yeah, definitely. Um, and now getting into the, the the Chiefs road win versus the 49ers. Um, Kansas City won 44 to 23, and Patrick Mahomes threw for 423 yards and three touchdowns. And this was just a collective performance and also on the other side it was Christian McCaffrey's debut performance with San Francisco and McCole Hardman had two touchdown runs and Justin Watson had a four yard uh, a TD run but what are your thoughts on Kansas City's win and also you know what San Francisco can improve on because when I look at Kansas City like this is a team I think right there with Buffalo I think Buffalo it's Buffalo and Kansas City and everybody else like I think those are the top two teams in the league and they kind of separate themselves from everybody else but what were kind of your thoughts um, on this game I I think that we saw the 49ers go against finally an actually good team and sh- show kind of, in my opinion, the fraud that they are. Um, they have, they do not have a good offense, uh, especially, I mean, Trey Lance has had his issues and, and health issues and we don't know what Jimmy G is. And we have Bailey's that are not, not Bailey. That'd be um, Brock Purdy playing. Right. Uh, right. And so I think when we, we saw them play very well, they still have a really good defense. Like, let, let's not mm. get that. Oh, yeah, that defense is top tier. incredible top defense. defense, yeah. Except when they play against a good team. Yeah. They gave up 40-something points. This was the best defense in the league up, up to this point, and they just got destroyed by by a competent offense, and now they have Kadarius Toney in the Chiefs as well, um, yeah. that recent trade. And so, I, to me, I think um, it's good that they figured it out now that, oh, we're maybe not be as good as we think we are. Earlier um, in the season, leg- not later. Yeah, They have legitimate offensive concerns. I think McCaffrey could be good, but we already know the health injury, health concerns with McCaffrey, if he can even play a full season. Um, I think with Debo, I think you can alleviate some of that by having, still having Debo run his, run his uh, running plays. Uh, but again, they have a favorable schedule the rest of the way as well. Um, Every team that they're playing the rest of the way have at least three losses and only three have an above 500 record currently. Um, so they're kind of in the same path as the as the um, Buccaneers. They have an easy schedule. People are barely above 500 or 500 or below, and they're they're still in contention in their own uh, in their own division. Yeah, um, they still have that. You know, there's still a tough division to play in, regardless of the records. They're still gritty. I think kind of their even all four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this should be a wake up call to them. But I also think in regards to the Chiefs, we saw oh they're back. They're still here. They never left. They're yeah. still one of the best offenses we've ever seen in the history of the sport. Uh, and their defense played well against admittedly a, in my opinion, a bottom tier offense. Mm-hmm. But they still played well. And they need that. They need to see how they can play against a good defense. And they played well. And so if you're the Buffalo Bills, you're looking at this team like, oh, they played against a good defense and trounced them and scored over 40 points against them. Um, and so this should be a wake-up call to the rest of the league that the Chiefs are serious competitors and the Bills are not just the only team at the top. Yeah, it's not just Buffalo. It's not just Buffalo at all. You, you still you still have to They still make a case. but Yeah, they, but Buffalo still. still makes a case. Like, like I said, like, like this team could, we think can be the best team in the league overall. But Kansas City is still that team you have to respect and go through in the AFC if you actually, you know, want to get to that pinnacle um, for the league. Right. Um, and and now kind of getting into Green Bay's uh, surprising loss to Washington. Um, I'm, you know, this might be like Savon would have been like completely just out of it this episode because he's a big <laughs> Packers fan. Like he's just been struggling all season seeing, seeing this team's 
just constant struggles. But, you know, they, they lost to Washington 23 to 21 as penalties, you know, piled up at the worst moments. And this is also, with this being their third straight loss, it, it, a lot of panic going on. But what are your thoughts on this season for Green Bay so far? Obviously, like they didn't, you know, first season without Devontae Adams, you know, trying to adjust new, re- new receivers in. But what are kind of your thoughts on, on what their main issues are and just, you know, how can it be fixed going forward? Uh, they should be very concerned. Um, I think, I don't think at this point, if they continue whether they're not making the playoffs, and I would bet on them now to not make the playoffs. Uh, because the Vikings are five and one. Yeah, they're in. They're, so they're, they're, it's, it's different with Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, like right. they don't have like a serious threat. In the, exactly. This, Green Bay, it's, it's different. They 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 don't have. They will not win their division. Um, I would be very shocked if they turned it around. Uh, a lot of the the complaints and the issues are wide receivers and uh and that issue, but I, I compare them to the likes of the Giants, who have legitimately a practice squad squad wide receiving core, legitimately. Yeah, they, they really and they just traded away their best one in Kadarius Tony, yeah. um, which I'm still I'm mind blown. But Kadarius hasn't played. But what's the difference? The Giants are six and one, and so I look really at good coaching, really good coaching as well. Great coaching, <laughs> but Daniel Jones as your quarterback. Yeah, who I've he's actually been competent this year, and I have been vouching every year for him to leave. I don't want him, <laughs> but he's played like he's just a game manager, and he's plays well under a dabble system. But then you look at one of the be- probably the athletically the best quarterback of all time, in Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. just by pure skill. And you're making the same complaint, even though you have some, you have way better receivers than the Giants do. Yeah, look at your record, and you lost to Washington, and teams, a horrible team to lose to. Yeah, a horrible team. And so, at some point, I I think it boils down to the chemistry of the team. I don't think they have it. Uh, and this has been an issue with Aaron Rodgers for a while, where every single year we keep see, keep seeming to have this narrative that he doesn't like his team. <laughs> he doesn't like the Packers. He doesn't want to be there. Uh, we had a bunch of those issues where he thought he was going to leave. And then uh, their quarterback or their coach came in and they finally did well. He played a couple of those seasons. But now I think we're exposing. I, I don't think there's a chemistry there that there should be there. I don't. But he said himself, he doesn't trust his whiteouts. He doesn't trust them. He doesn't trust anybody that he's throwing to. Yeah. And that hurts you. At some point, you have to trust them so you make the right throw. Because when you don't trust somebody, you're not going to make the right throw because you don't trust them. Mm-hmm. And so you have to – I get it, but you're hurting yourself in the way that you pass the ball to your to your players if you're not giving them the benefit of the doubt. Sure. Um, and so you're hurting yourself in the games. And so this is this – is, this is bad for the Packers because here's their here's their next uh, couple games. They have the Bills, Lions, Cowboys, Titans, and Eagles. I think they'll beat the Lions, but they have a big potential to be four and eight at the end of it. I don't think they'll beat the Bills, Cowboys, Titans, or Eagles. I will find a hard press. Yeah. I mean, especially I with the loss to Washington, yeah, they blew a game against the Giants, um, and so. I think at the end of the stretch, their best bet is being four and eight if they beat the Lions, because um, the Lions are so wishy-washy in their offense. One, the game will score four, and the next their score is literally zero points. Um, and so we'll see there. But that's that's the biggest stretch. That's the biggest concern. Is Buffalo uh, Green Bay the Sunday night game? I'm not sure. I, it might okay. be. Okay. I I think I think the Bills can beat it by at least thirty points. Yeah, that's that's going to be a, a 
Me um, so that's that's a tough thing because you look at the Bucks record. If you're comparing the Bucks and and the Packers and seeing which one is worse, the Bucks have a very favorable schedule the rest of the way. Rest of the way, these simply the next five games. One of them is has a losing record for the Packers, and most I think every single one of them has over has only two losses, or or less. And so that's a huge that's a huge downfall if you're, if you're trying to catch up the Vikings, which you won't. And so that's why I'm calling it now. They're not making the playoffs. They should start building for next year because, in my opinion, their season's over. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that might be Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers can do things. We've seen it before. We've seen him turn, oh, turn yeah. the ship around. Uh, but not this. I don't think not this not late this in the late. season. Yeah, not this late. This is different. I think it's hard. I think the Vikings are rolling. So, uh, and and you look at the other teams that have, they have contention with. I mean. In my opinion, the NFCs surprising as I say, because the last couple of years have been the worst in, in the league. This might be the best. Might be the best. They have in the league. three teams that will yeah. make the playoffs. Yeah. And I'll tell you, every single week, I I remember when we were when the Giants were four and one, I said they still have the potential to be four and thirteen, because they keep winning, <laughs> they keep winning the closest games possible. Yeah, but they're winning. Pushing it. Yeah, but they they're, they're, they're winning. They find a way. Their defense is really good. Daniel Jones is being a great game manager, and I love that he scrambles because that's what he needs to do. And he's not fumbling as much as he used to. Um, right. So Saquon is back. Fully Can we just back. say that? Yeah. Saquon back. is back. Yeah. Top yeah, top sure. three back in the league. Top two. Him and Nick yes. Chubb, I think, are head head over above everybody else. Um, and so that's been the biggest help. Uh, I remember watching the the Monday night game for that Saquon just had an incredible run, mm-hmm. um, and he just. Got it, and he blew it for a touchdown. It was incredible, and so that's what we needed. We we had a, a middling quarterback with a bad uh, wide receiver core with no running back, and now we have that. Right. Um. So that's a huge difference. Uh. I think Aaron Jones for the Packers have has severely disappointed him and AJ Dillon. Um. Because that's what they need. If they don't have the wide receiver core, they need them to run. They haven't run well. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and now getting into thoughts on, on Seattle's win in, in, in LA and, and being you know first first place in the NFC West. Um, Seattle won thirty seven to twenty three as Kenneth Walker the third rushed for one hundred sixty eight yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Geno Smith also completed 20, 27 passes for two hundred ten yards and, and two touchdowns. But what are your thoughts on, on how Seattle's been playing this season? Because this is a year where we're seeing Geno Smith play really well, like like look comfortable in a, in a system, and also you know not obviously like we're we're not at the end of the season, but you do one of those things of, of hindsight, you know, being 2020 with Russell, Will- them going away from Russell Wilson. And it, it seems to be working right now because we're seeing what's happening with, with Russell Wilson in Denver. They're not looking a- as good. But what are your thoughts on how on how this Seattle team is looking so far in the season? Sure. So besides the Giants and the Jets, they have been the most shocking teams by far, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what we see is that we've seen that they've prepared him really well behind Russell Wilson. Regardless of how well or badly Russell has played this season, I think that they prepared Gene and Mo because we made that trade and we thought, all right, Julak's going to be the quarterback. Are they going to trade for somebody? Mm-hmm. And then I think it was a shock out of training camp that we saw Geno Smith get the starting job. Oh, yeah. Now we don't see that as a shock. I mean, look at if you look at the stats, he's first in completion percentage, seventh in yards, sixth in touchdown, fourth in QBR, and third in rating. Like he is by all definitions this season a top five quarterback. This season, yeah, he, he is playing out of his mind. And I get he has great receivers, Tyler Lockett, DK, uh, all those guys. But he he's he plays like he's been doing this for ten years as one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. 
he doesn't care. And he knows, I mean, he said to himself, like, people wrote me off. I just didn't write him back, right? So, um, now they have, let, let's just not get it twisted. Kenneth Walker is a star. For sure. And we, we, we knew that in college. Um, but he's a star running back. And Rashad Penny, even the backup, is a solid backup to have as well. And so they have, they have an incredibly dangerous offense um, to go up against. I mean, you even look at their defense. Tariq Woolen is leading the league in interceptions. Um, the biggest error that I see in this in this team is their pressure. They have nobody on their defense that has more than three sacks. Nobody. And so I think that's their issue and why they have been playing some close games recently is because they can't pressure the quarterback. They can't. And so that might hurt them against some really accurate passers in Matthew Stafford um, yeah. uh, and, and guys like that. But their rushing defense is really good. Um, they have a great secondary led by Tariq Woolen, who's playing out of his mind this season. Um, I think this is this is a very interesting. Uh, and they have a very crucial game against the Giants this week. They're favored by three big points. Game. Yeah, really big game. Um, so we'll see against a really good Giants defense to see if they can stop uh, this offense um, that has been playing really well. The Giants have one of the best rushing defenses in the country. Um, but also not a great passing defense. But better than to have the last year. Um, and so we'll see if with who they play in the solid defense of the Giants, we'll see if deep, their offense can really keep up. Um, and they have in the next couple of the games some really good offenses that they're playing against as well. Um, so we'll see if their defense can hold up, but they have to pressure the quarterback. Um, so I think, but I still think they have a really great shot, shocking as it is to say, as coming into the season. We yeah. thought they were going to be one of the bottom three teams. Oh, yeah. That was one of the along teams we with, thought were going to just bottom out immediately. Along with the Giants and the Jets. Exactly. <laughs> who are five and two and six and one respectively, right? Um, yeah. And so we've seen this team, even though they have tough uh, league opponents, I think the poise that Geno Smith shows um, and the dynamic running game that he has to carry a lot of pressure off of his back. Because, I mean, if you compare Geno and Daniel Jones, this season, they're playing really well. Why? Because they have a running back that can get that pressure off. Yeah. Huge Daniel players. Jones is playing well now because he has Saquon Barkley healthy. Gino has playing well in his own right, but yeah. it's great that he has two solid running backs beside him that can carry the pressure off of them. So that make, it makes them to have a, a multiple a multiple spread offense. They, they, can, they can play well. They can do the run. They can do the pass consistently. So it really tires the defense out. Um, and really alleviates a lot of pressure off their defense when they're scoring. So I think this is an interesting year. I, I, I think really the Seahawks is. have a good potential to win their division if they can continue rolling. Well, I hope Geno Smith continues to roll how he's doing. Um, it's just exciting to watch some teams that we wrote off at the beginning of the year, and they're playing really well. They're 4-3. and three. They still need to get some wins. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I think this next game against the Giants will really decide and a lot. show yeah. us Show us, oh, are they for real, or are they just going to be a middling team and try to buy for a bottom seed in the playoffs, which is still surprising in itself. Yeah, it really is. And before we get to college football, like like we've mentioned teams that have surprised us and we thought we, we could write off, but have, have, has there been one team that you kind of had expectations for in the preseason that kind of hasn't lived up to that hype this year and just hasn't looked, looked like the same team you expected? I, I think the Buccaneers and the Raiders. Buccaneers, I'm shocked because they still, as we said at the beginning, they have a top three roster, as they should. We thought they're going to be number one. 
we didn't think anything like this was going to happen. But I think the the Raiders as well really disappointed. Uh, and they play some really close game, but they're two and five at the moment. Um, they're not playing like we thought they would. We thought they'd have a good defense. We thought that the tandem of Derek Carr and Devontae Adams would be playing really well. We thought Josh Jacobs would be playing way better than he is. And so it's tough to see that because, I mean, I was rooting for that as well. Um, but we're going to see if they can if they can really step up and win some games because they had a really good win last week. Um, but two and five for the Raiders is something that we didn't think, especially how well they played a year ago. We just thought they were adding on Devontae. Oh, yeah. And sure. they've they've disappointed. And so those, to me, are the two teams that I'm just disappointed in um, to start the season. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now getting into college football with Clemson's comeback win versus uh, Syracuse. Um, Clemson was able to win 27-21, and Will Shipley scored twice in the run, including the go-ahead 50-yard TD run with less than uh, 12 minutes to go. They also rallied from 14 points down in the, in the first half um, for, for its 14 straight win overall. But what are your takeaways from this Clemson win and, and also you know what they can build on going forward? Because they have had some really tough um, ACC matchups um, even earlier in the season with Wake Forest where they really got pushed to the brink. But Still able, still being able to find find a way to win. But uh, what are your kind of your current thoughts on this team? Will Shipley needs offensive help. Yeah, Will Shipley is one of the best running backs in the league, in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, Clemson will not win if DJ is their quarterback. I think that wow. they should try to start Cade Klubnik, even though he barely passed and he barely ran, but they won with him at the quarterback. I think the issues that we saw with DJ last year and, and every single season he's played. They will not win a college football playoff with DJ as their quarterback. It just won't happen. I, I see I see Georgia as a really good, even though Stetson Bennett's been kind of wishy-washy the past couple of games. I see uh, if Alabama can win out. I think Brightstown is so much better. Attendant Hooker is way better. Um, Michigan's really solid. TCU, I mean, you look at Max Duggan, who's really, really good. I think if you see Clemson and UNC in the in the in the um, in the ACC championship. I think because of how bad Clemson's passing defense is, I think that Drake May will just score at will on them. And it's going to be a high foul matchup, but I don't think DJ can score. I don't think DJ can pass. Will Shipley is their offense at the current moment. And so he needs help. I mean, if you look at these, look at these stats, um, he's Will Shipley is, is incredible, but they're top 30 in defensive yards per game. They're top 10 in rushing defense. That's, that's their only saving grace is their running defense. Um, but they're 53rd in yards per game, 70th in passing yards per game, 40th in rushing yards per game. DJ is 40th in yards per game. He is not even a top 30 quarterback. That's wild. And 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 it's bad. And so what we saw, as I mentioned, their, their, their rushing defense is great. I mean, they held Sean Tucker to five carries and 54 yards. They made them pass the ball. But when you're going against teams that are good at passing the ball, for example, UNC. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to play against UNC most likely in the ACC championship game, yeah. barring any no, flop of UNC. And so you can stop a running game. That's fine. Drake May still going to throw for four hundred and five touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be their issue. Syracuse really relied on Sean Tucker to carry them a lot of the way. So when they stop the rushing attack, and this is going to show when they finally play a great offense, like they did right. against Wake Forest. Wake Forest should have won that game. Oh yeah, they blew that, it. that's a game. Yeah, it. that's a game. Clemson really got lucky that they pulled off. That, that Syracuse should have won that game. They blew it. Mm-hmm. 
against and he's not even a great quarterback Syracuse's quarterback he's not yeah um he's played that's well, why i think that, that's why i think in the, when it comes to playoff they're not going to be able to win because mm-hmm. you're 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 having two games that we just mentioned where you clearly should have lost and you're going to face a better right. team a much a much more elite team with a better quarterback um than dj and it's it's, it's not going to right out. but look at the rest of their schedule i mean they have a notre dame team who's whose defense is still pretty solid their offense is a problem they have Louisville. He's had some pretty good wins this year, but it's still kind of middling. Miami and then South Carolina, who's now ranked. And then a potential UNC Conference Championship. They should be very worried about not making college football playoff title game. They could still make the, the, the college football playoff. Make no mistake. They could still win oh, out. Yeah, that's possible. But I... The title game? That's different. I don't believe there's any shot that they win the title this year. They should give it up. It's not happening. Even though they're 8-0, I don't care. They're not good enough. DJ is not a good enough quarterback. I really think, especially against um, maybe Notre Dame, but Louisville and Miami, they should really test to see if Cade is a good quarterback. Because they need that. DJ is not good. Uh, and uh, that might suck some people because he's still a car- starting quarterback in the top mm-hmm. 14 who's undefeated. But he has not shown himself to be as cons- a consistent enough quarterback to win a championship. And so and he, that, that's my issue with them. And people can fall for the bait of just being like, it's Clemson, they're 8-0, everything's good. But when you actually mm-hmm. look at these games and you break it down, right. there's some there's some big red flags that can show it's up. It's Will Shipley. Yeah. Will Shipley is incredible. Yeah. Um, and their rushing defenses made other, made other teams commit to one style of offense. But we right. saw that exploited specifically against Wake Forest. You should have won that game. Sam Hartman is a, is a great quarterback, and he exposed them. Think what, he has six touchdowns against them? Um, he he rolled their defense, and that's their issue. They have a bad secondary. They have a bad passing. Uh, I think as I once said, I think it was um seventieth, yeah seventieth, and oh that's passing yards per game. Um, they have a top thirty in defensive yards per game, top ten in defensive uh rushing defense, but they're horrible in the passing defense. And so, I think they're actually below the halfway mark of all. 120 some odd college teams they're not even yeah. top 60 um so that's their that's their issue i think they really need to get on that they really need because if if their passing defense plays well they have a chance um but i think it's going to be a running game versus a passing game and in many other cases the passing game will win um yeah. and so you really got to think and dj could still surprise me he, he has had good games but he's, he's not shown it this season yeah. he's had his moments but you don't want some your starting quarterback to just have moments. Just have moments, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, you look I, after, at after what we saw from Hendon Hooker and Bryce. Right, Manning, you look at him. Like, come on, like, like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, our quarterbacks are not at that level. Right, exactly. So that's my issue with them. I, I, I would peg him now to be a, a lock to not win the championship this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and now getting to Oregon's convincing home win versus UCLA and their offensive rhythm recently. Um, Oregon won at home. 45 to 30 and Bo Nix threw for 283 yards and five touchdowns. And this was um, for, for this uh, uh, UCLA loss. And the Ducks have won six straight since their opening uh, season loss uh, uh, to Georgia. But looking at this win and the, and the run Oregon's been on, uh, what are your thoughts currently on this team and, and their progress? Because it, it's a night and day difference from what we saw against Georgia. They really look, look like, a, like a, a strong, competent offensive team and kind of putting things together at the right time. I think Oregon's just back. I think, I mean, Bo Nix, you're coming from an Auburn system, and it's a totally different system than Oregon system. Right. And so you saw that get exposed. He tried to run a, a SEC-style system against Georgia and got demolished. 
And so I think that was a wake-up call for him. It's like, hey, no, i got to play my game here, but i also got to play the way that Oregon plays. Um, and the way that Oregon has played is they have a top five rushing offense this year. Top five. Mm. Bucky Irving is a decent running back to have. Um, and so they had a great win last week versus uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson and the Bruins. Their offense is carrying them because their defense is bad. They gave up 27 points to Stanford and 22 points to Arizona. And so their offense really needs to hum to win these shootouts. Uh, and they still still have a case, surprisingly enough, have a case to make the playoffs if they win out. Um, yeah, It's going to be a narrow one because there's so many good teams at the top. But they've really shown a, a new leaf. And Bo Nix has finally found his groove as a quarterback for, for this Oregon team. Really shocked about some of the wins that they've had in the past couple of weeks. But I think that's showing that, hey, no, this is who we are. First week of the season was a fluke. Um, this is we can we can play. Um, I still I still don't think uh, they would beat Georgia now, not even close. Um, so, but <laughs> they've turned a new leaf. They could have they could have done, for example, what Texas A&M has done, just flopped, just given up, basically. Just and but no, they've turned it around. They still have a chance. Um, there, I think right now they're the highest ranked of the Pac-12. I think mm-hmm. USC is right behind them. Utah is right behind them. Um, so they still have tough schedules coming up. Uh, they have Washington, Utah, and Oregon State to end the season. That's a tough final three. Very um, tough. But right currently, right now, they have a 13% chance to make the playoffs. If they uh, right currently, right now, I don't know what it is if they went out. Um, but they're going to have to make it on their offense because their defense is just bad. Yeah. It just is. The blueprint is um, is laid out for them. The offense is what's going to get them to where they want to be. 100. percent yeah, definitely. Um, and, and now getting into most interesting week nine game. Nine game, game. This is something like me, me and Savon do every week. Kind of look at, at kind of like the most interesting college football game coming up. Um, to me, Ohio State Penn State is, is a really interesting one because obviously Ohio State being undefeated and then uh, uh, facing a, a division opponent like Penn State is definitely going to be a, a, a tough matchup. But what are kind of your thoughts on maybe one or two games that kind of stand out to you for this upcoming week in college football? I have a couple. Um, you mentioned the one Ohio State and Penn State. Um, well, we'll see what Ohio State can actually do against a good defense, against a good team. They have not played anybody. Yeah, they have not played anybody. There's no reason that they should be ranked higher. In my opinion, Tennessee should be ranked for number one. That should what they've yeah. they they've beat five ranked opponents. Five. And so just put them there. They might not win out, but to put them the there. The way so Ohio good. State gets ranked every year just befuddles me. But hey. Right. We'll see. <laughs> um, so that, can Penn State bounce back against uh, a bad loss against right. Michigan that they had? Um, another one for me is Oklahoma State, Kansas State. You know, Mar- Adrian Martinez is having a redemption season. Mm-hmm. It's really relied on his run game. He doesn't have a lot of passing stats. Um, but can they manipulate a horrible Ohio- uh, Oklahoma State defense? The problem is they have Sanders on the other side. And Sanders is a great quarterback for Oklahoma State. Um, so that's that could be a really high shooting matchup. Um, another one I have is Cincinnati and UCF. Cincinnati currently is uh, the top power uh, group of five team. Um, but as of right now, it is even on the betting boards. Even. And UCF has the 60% chance to win according to Magic Predictor. Um, so you see, you see how can, can they keep that title? I mean, John Riss Plum, Plumlee is leading a UCF team, former Ole Miss quarterback. Uh, two great games. They were embarrassed by ECU last week. Embarrassed. They should not. That should never have happened. Um, but they can bounce back. Bounce back. Cincinnati 
uh, barring a close loss to Arkansas, has only one loss to them. Um, and they've rolled since. Can they keep that going? Um, mm-hmm. Another one that I have is Tennessee and Kentucky, obviously. Mm-hmm. Hen Hooker currently right now is a playing like the best quarterback in college football. He doesn't have the stats because Drake May has better stats. CJ Stroud has better stats. Um, Bryce Young has better stats. But he is playing poised. He's mature. He knows exactly what he's doing. One of the one of the best transfers ever in the history of college football mm-hmm. <laughs> is sending and Hooker because he's played so well. He's two thousand ninety three yards, eighteen touchdowns, and the biggest thing, only one interception. That's a solid quarterback. Major Jalen Jalen Hyatt is is going off the rails right now. Tennessee, in my opinion, again should be ranked number one. They have four top twenty five victories in seven games: Pitt, Florida, LSU, and Miami, and they have three more currently in Kentucky, Georgia, and South Carolina upcoming. So they could potentially, if South Carolina stays ranked, have uh, have seven, yeah. seven top 25 that they win out. Georgia, that I can't wait for the Georgia game. I yes. want them to win this week because of that Georgia game. Um, that is going to be but, amazing. So, they, but that's the worry, right? They don't, a lot of young guys who are playing college football tend to look ahead farther than they should. They have to beat Kentucky now yeah, you gotta you gotta get this one first gotta get this one because kentucky's quarterback is good but he's really struggled especially with his with his health concerns it's been really bad they, they've struggled since their loss to old miss losing two out of their last three um and a lot of it has been the health issues of of will levis yeah and so who's still in many people's opinion top 10 draft prospect he's still a good quarterback um but it really got exposed can they run the football can they stop offenses and so that's the biggest concern for me. I, I, it's only interesting to me because of the potential of next week, but there are also two ranked teams playing against each other. Uh, we'll see if Will Levis can come back and play well. But, I mean, this Tennessee team is so good. So um, good, man. So good. Obviously, their their secondary is not, not ranked pretty, high enough. Pretty bad. Not ranked high enough. Uh, no, not at all. There's no, I was, there's no reason they shouldn't be ranked number one to me. It, there's no reason. It doesn't matter if any of the teams that they played in the past are still ranked. They still played ranked teams, and they're still pretty solid teams. And they beat Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, like one more, just like they, that checks everything you want. The committee well, should want, but instant classic. Like I think the best college football game. Oh yeah, since I was a, I was about to say like that game <clears throat> is one of the best games I've seen in the last like five years. Is I think it's top five in the history of of the sport because yes, of man. the 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 weightiness that it had for Tennessee and finally beating Alabama in 15 years. Right. And so you have, you have that as just a huge cross that they bore and they conquered it. And so, especially against Bryce Young, who should have been sacked like 20 times, but just somehow Houdini in his way out of so many and just made incredible Incredible passes, like it was insane to me. Yeah, and and it's instant classic. It's one of the best games in the past twenty years. Yeah. Um. It, so it was the type of game where you didn't want to leave where you were at. Like if you absolutely if you, not. Just like I just want to be here. I just want to watch this. I was game. fixated. <laughs> I would. I didn't go anywhere. I, I had to watch that game. Yeah. That that incredible throw that he had to Jalen Hyatt at the end of the game to set up that field goal yes. was absolutely phenomenal. Um. I mean, they drove forty yards and um and like. Eight nineteen seconds or something like that. Like it was, it was wild. It was so wild. They got the ball back with, with, I think it was maybe fifteen. Like I was like, they got that's too much time for. There's no way. That's too much. It's just going to be overtime. Yeah. 
like man boom <laughs> dots it was just incredible dots. an incredible display and that's where i saw the legitimately legitimacy of their offense from several shootouts but man can they did they, they, they did that against the best defensive player in all of college football mm. uh will yeah. anderson we'll see if they can do it against georgia next week and kentucky this week but it's, it's really exciting to see them play so well Absolutely. Um, and now getting to the NBA, one of the games earlier this week that had a lot of attention was Warrior Suns. Um, it, it did not feel like a regular season game. This was like four, fourth game of the season, but you, you could just tell one of those games where it's like, okay, like this is a different. This is playoff this is play, This is playoff NBA. This is yeah. This is playoff 100%. intensity. And and, uh, and also Clay's first ejection was a big deal. Phoenix was able to win one thirty four to one hundred five, and Devin Booker had thirty four points. DeAndre Ayton added sixteen points and fourteen rebounds. And you know there were, were seven technical fouls caught in, in, in less than six minutes. Um, Clay received two quick technicals and reject, rejected uh, having words with Booker. But man, like, what are your thoughts on on a game where? Because like last year, I always felt it was going to be Warrior Suns in the Western Conference Finals, and then this year we see what happens in, in this game and just kind of like not not seeing Clay ever act like that before. Clay rarely sure. gets that heated, and and obviously against Booker, it, it was it was entertaining to see, but. What were your thoughts on that game and just kind of like the extra inten- intensity um, it had early in the season? Well, I think Clay had an issue because Devin Booker didn't allow him to score a point when he was guarding him. And I think I think it was 0 for 3, field goal 0 points. And I think he's what, what, he scored like 4 points the whole game. Mm-hmm. It was under 10. It was under, um, very low. But in- incredible play. I think Suns are once again a problem. Booker is the best shooting guard in the game. It's not even close the way that he plays. And the Suns, just like last year, but I think it's better this year, they have crazy depth. Like, insane depth. I think Cam Johnson, now that he's starting, has a good shot to have a breakout season if he fills his role well. I mean, you have Cameron Payne coming off the bench, Mikhail Bridges, CP3, and DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, they have Cameron Payne, Mikhail Bridges, CP3, and DeAndre Ayton are all threats. Um, really good depth. Um, and the Warriors are Suns. It's a great rivalry to have in the NBA. Oh yeah, uh, it's, just, it's it's not one that we have considered before instead of last year, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's great to have in this NBA climate, and we just we need to have two fierce shooting guards go ahead and ahead. I think it's incredible to see guys who love the game and show emotion. Um, but I mean, Booker's defense was incredible at holding a great offensive player down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the West still is the Nuggets to lose, but the Suns have the best chance to beat them out of the regular season record race. Um, and so you like so, the Nuggets the most? You like, you yeah. like the Nuggets? Okay. Yeah, I think I think I mean, barring health, I think they have the best chance. They they have they have a really good team and a one of a kind unicorn player. Nuggets, you just so good. Um, so I think I think that's a but I think the one team that can that can pressure that is the Suns because of their depth, because of their ability to score. And now the ability to have a really good defense uh, playing. I mean, Cameron Payne's a great defensive player. And the Booker can play this defensively well. They have Aiton as well. CP3 has always been good at defense. Um, and if they, if Cam Johnson can break out in a really special role in offense, I think it's, I think it's a really great season for the, for the, for the Phoenix Suns. Um, right. I think there's also a check for the Golden State Warriors. Cause I mean, they got beat pretty well. Um, so you you gotta make some checks, but they still have a again they still have the deep team as well. Um, and I think it's just one game, but you gotta hold your emotion. Like you you gotta be confident in your game, let your game speak. 
Um, we've seen guys like that in the past just do that. Like LeBron, he just lets – most of the time, he lets his game speak. Right. Katie, most of the time, lets his game speak. And we saw that with the classic Spurs. Tim Duncan just loved his game speak. Yeah. People hated Tim Duncan. Me. So yeah, what a respond. Yeah. <laughs> right? He would never respond. He's like, I'm just going to play. And that's why they hated him. Like, yeah. Kevin Garnett was so annoyed at him because he would just wouldn't respond. And that would get under his skin because he wouldn't respond. So we see those guys play, and they let their games speak for themselves. And yeah. that's how, I mean, carried to winning success. And so if Booker's getting in your face, you got to play better. You got you to – you got to – because I think that was some of the problem in his offense is he let it get to him. And at some point, you just got to let your game speak. You can't let that get to you. You're an NBA player. You need to play him. If he's playing better, play better. Like, get better. Um, because Devin Booker is the best shooting guard in the game. And so if you want to beat him, play better. Or at least set up your other guys to help yeah, help you even out. Even if or you at can't least impact the better. game offensively, you can do it in other right. ways. Cause, cause because, I mean, you can, you can play off-ball offense incredibly well. I mean, you've got Steph and Jordan Poole on your team. Right? Yeah. You, you guys can score. Um and so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see if that gets corrected. But it's a, I mean, this early in the season, I wanted that game so bad. That was so fun. It was that was the NBA playoff game, and it's be exciting to see them in the playoff series deep down the road. Absolutely, we need that series. We need we need absolutely we need to see them <laughs> this year. Absolutely. Um, and, and now kind of getting into like concerns with, with the Lakers, <clears throat> Sixers, and, and Nets. Um, you know, all these teams that have started the season off with more struggles than fluidity as, as Philly had had. You know, back-to-back Eastern Conference losses and surprising a loss to, to the Spurs this past weekend as, as, you know, they've ranked 24th in the league in both offensive and, and defensive efficiency. The Lakers are on, on the other side are, are 0-4 and, and just had poor outside shooting, still not being able to compete against the elite teams in the West. And then uh, w- with Brooklyn, you know, they're off to a 1-4 start and, and lost last night to the Mavericks in overtime. And even though KD and Kyrie have had spectacular um, offensive performances combined, you know, they've come up short against guys like John Moran and, and, and Luka. But what are your, your thoughts on these three teams and, and which one would you kind of push the panic button on um, first? It's by, it by far is Lakers. They have the worst three to 15 on, in the whole league. Absolutely horrible. They're they not making the playoffs. It's not going to happen. It's not. It's not. It's not even close. I mean, when you're having I mean, to Stephen rely a, on... Stephen A made a case that you could actually, this team could actually start off 0-11. Not saying that it will happen. But I, it, I buy it, it could, because... It could happen. Yeah. Do you, you have Anthony Davis and LeBron... And we know Russ has been great in his rights, but it's just Anthony Davis and LeBron. And if Anthony Davis keeps getting hurt, it's just going to be LeBron. I mean, if you have to rely on Pat Beverly and Austin Reeves to be your offense, that is bad. They don't. Have, they have no depth. You compare them to the Suns. Like the the number ten player can be a starting person on the Lakers. That's how bad the Lakers are. Yeah. Uh, like. Cameron Payne would be a starter over there. Like all these guys would be a starter over there. And and so the Lakers should have already pressed the panic button before the season started. It should have just been taken for Wemby the whole time because they're so bad. Uh, and even worse than last year when they were also bad. And so, and I, and I think, I mean, you see that when they play, I mean, Russ hates that he's going to be starting off the bench. I mean, that's another rumor point. Like he will be on the bench. Right. Um, and, LeBron hates every single time Russell has the ball because he shoots it. Like we had that horrible shot the other night where we heard audible, like, please don't shoot this. Yes. <laughs> and Russell like, shot it anyway. Him and AD were just literally like frustrated, visibly frustrated. Most of the times they keep it in check and, and you know, they'll, they'll talk about it in the huddle. They were visibly yeah. frustrated on the court. If that, that Russ made that Russ took that shot. They're only saving grace. And I don't think this will even save them from a playoff contention, but if they want to have it, 
any sort of visibly okay record is you trade Russell for at least two guys that can play well for you. Mm. You should not have Russell. He might be able to play well at the bench. We haven't seen it yet. Uh, I just don't think the camaraderie there. I don't think the chemistry there. I don't think he wants to be there if he doesn't start. I don't think they want him in the starting lineup. And so I think there's a lot of issues that that's with the team, regardless of how weak their bench is. Another thing that has to be never seen a bad bench. Another thing has to be mentioned. A couple years ago, this team had Gasol, Caruso, Casey. They had a championship core. And then they blow it one summer mm-hmm. off of just being like, hey, listen, let's get a third star. Plinka has had some great summers. He should be fired for what he did to this team. Oh, yeah, he should. He should. I, I get the love for Rob Plinka. I get Jeannie Buss loves him. I get it. But he screwed this team over so bad yeah. to have just absolutely atrocious. Like, Pat Bev is your fourth best player? Come on, man. Like, you're not going to do anything. It's going to be so bad for you. And so that's the Lakers by far. I think Philly – I mean, Philly still has talented players on the bench. They have Montrez Harrell on the bench. They have Matisse Thibel on the bench. Uh, they have Mel- Shake, uh, I think it's Shake Milton on the bench. They have uh, Daniel House on the bench and Georges Yang. So they're, they have players that can play. The problem is they're not playing them. Right. Like, if you see early in the season, I, I don't remember which game, but I think everybody in the starting lineup besides P.J. Tucker – had over 38 minutes played. And so you're going to tie yourselves out. Maxi is good in his own right. Harden is good in his own right. Not together. They can't, they're both shooters. Like James Harden likes to pass sometimes, but I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a backcourt that you want to work. Um, but once again, we see Joel Embiid is out of shape. Again. <laughs> when are we, when are we going to ever going to see this boy in shape? He, he has potential to be the best center since Shaq. It's it's like it's one of the things that, and Charles he's losing Barkley, to Nikola Jokic. It's exactly it's one of the things Charles Barkley and Shaq are always upset about. They're like, this guy could really be the guy. He could <laughs> that, be a top like, five. He could be. He could if he if a top five center of all time. He could be, but Nikola Jokic is beating him. Like he does. Embiid has zero MVPs. Jokic has two. Probably gonna win another throw this year. He probably should. Like he's so good. Um, but that because that's because <clears throat> Jokic has ex- has trained well. He's built his stamina, but he's also improving his game. Joel Embiid looks lost on every single offensive possession until he gets the ball in the paint, and, and Embiid gets out of gas. He's if he's playing forty minutes a game, five minutes left in the fourth quarter, he's he's gone. Like he's just he's done. He's so gassed, and that's what makes it hard for them. Um, but they can still make the playoffs in the East. The East is nowhere near as strong as, as the West. Uh, so they have a chance there. Same thing for the for the Nets. But, I mean, th- I think this stat by the, for the Lakers is incredible. Outside of LeBron, AD, and Lonnie Walker, and Russ, nobody is averaging more than five points a game. Nobody. Four people over five, and two of them are under – I think um, two of them are under uh, ten. So I think they have three people over ten. Uh, and it's just bad. It's bad. It's hard to watch. It's really hard to watch this catastrophe. Um, and it's hard to watch he, LeBron still have the ability to compete on a championship yes. team. Like, he has that ability to, like, in- instantly impact a contender, but he's on 100%. this team. He's on and this it's team. Just, it, it's, this a is, it's a waste of yeah, time. This isn't <laughs> the old Cleveland team that he carried. He still oh. has some players that played well for one season. Truly, like, Mo Williams popped off. Yeah, Daniel Gibson, who popped off one year. <laughs> and they kind of helped him out, but 
nobody's popping off in this scene. This is not going to happen. Um, you also mentioned the Nets. Yeah. Problem with Another the Nets. I want to get to. Yeah. Problem with the Nets is their defense is is absolutely horrible. This is a stat. They're get, they're giving up a hundred. They gave up 130 points to the Pelicans. 134 to the Grizzlies, 110 to the Bucks, and 129 in overtime to the Mavericks. They are tied with the Spurs for the second most points per game given up in the in this in the start of the season. Hmm. Tied with the Spurs for the second most given up points per game. It's absolutely atrocious. And the problem is, I mean, you mentioned it. They have Katie and Kyrie. I mean, when your third or fourth best players, Nick Claxton, scoring the ball, like obviously we Seth Curry hasn't played. He hasn't played yet. That's, and, and he's a he's a big he's a, he's a big part. Of that's the huge piece. Shooting, I think yeah. that I think if you play when he plays, that's going to really turn the team around. Because Seth is a yes. really great scorer. Really, he's uh, a great three and D guy. He's he's an incredible incredible offensive presence. So that's going to help him out. But I, I mean, you you mentioned that like he can both score thirty five points a night. It's not going to matter when you're one and four. When you can't win games know. because your defense is is horrible, and their defense is horrible, and that's their problem. They need to fix their defense. They cannot be giving in three of the four losses 129 points or more. Does Steve Nash make it past Christmas? Do you do you think Steve Nash will still be the coach of this team? It's so it's so hard because I love Steve Nash. Like, I may maybe not be as a coach, but I've always loved watching Steve Nash play. I just love Steve Nash as a person. But no, if they continue this way, he's not going to last. It's just not going to happen. And I and I think you saw you saw him get thrown out the other night. And I I think his team has his back. Like you, you, you saw, you saw Katie come up to him, like, like it's okay, we got you, we got you, and we, many of them came up to him, like even Kyrie came up to him and other people, like just like, hey, let's just play, we got you, but they're holding him back, they're talking to him, um, but no, I don't think the, I don't think the ownership cares about that, like maybe care about the record with with Kyrie and Katie playing together, and they can't have a one and four start, and I think if they continue this way, if their defense is playing this bad, I think they're gonna have a bad record. Um, the only saving grace is if Katie pops off for like 15 points one night. <laughs> like, but he can't be doing that all night. He can't. He can't. just gonna drain happen. him because you saw even even in that Milwaukee series a couple years ago, where I mean he carried that team. Yeah. Um, and then in that game seven, he just ran out of gas. You know what I yeah. mean? Like obviously, like like could have closed out the series, had his foot on the line. It, it's just there's only so much he can do. He's one of the he best did players everything in the world possible. Still. Literally did everything that series, everything you could do, but it wasn't enough. And they, they just have a bad, like they just have a bad defense. If you're consistently for more than, and they almost they're almost zero five. They only won by four against the team that they yeah. beat, right? And and so, but what they do, they held them to 105 points. But you're not going to win. They have they have nobody that they played against have they held under 100 points, and only one under 110. You're not going to win games if you've given up. For three of your four losses, 129 points or more. It's just not going to happen. Um, so they really need a fixed defense. If they can't play defense, which KD doesn't play defense, right. he's not he's just not at presence. Kyrie can, but he's not like that anymore. And so who do they have? They, they don't really have a staunch defensive presence. So they might need to make a couple of trades for just guys who can ben play defense. Ben Simmons is still struggling. I mean, we're still I, seeing Ben Simmons struggle. I can't stand Ben Simmons. I, he's just He's so bad. Like you, you heard the other night, Kyrie passing the ball and he shoot passed it on. I was like, shoot it. <laughs> and so I think, yeah, he can pass the ball sometimes, but he is, he is such a liability on offense that is you're playing four and five because you don't want to give him the ball. You don't. I, I don't want to give him the ball. The only saving grace is that he's a really good defensive player, but that's all he has. And so at some point, 
I mean, this isn't a league where Dennis Rodman can thrive anymore. Right. Dennis Rodman thrived because he could play defense so well that it turned into offense for other players. Um, and that's all they need him to do. But in this day and age, you, you need somebody who can play both sides of the ball. Uh, I mean, you see that with, with that with the way that the centers have progressed their game and playing really good offense. You look at Nikola Jokic and other guys right. who play offense now. The play play great offense along with their defense, and he's not there. And so it's I I, I struggle watching Ben Simmons on the court because I I wonder if he likes playing basketball. Like, do you actually like playing this? You don't look like you're having fun, and nobody that plays with you looks the like effort. they're having fun. It's the effort. Right. The effort is in is always in question. I think but that was that was in question at LSU. That was yeah. in question before he went to LSU, and that's never changed. I think they just banked on his talent and we really banked on his talent to be something. And he's had some great moments. Oh, but for sure. He has for the, more the, often the than not the effort. Like, yeah. He doesn't have the, the mama mentality. He doesn't ha- have the drive that, that all these other players have. He just doesn't have it. And I think that's, that's his, that's his curse is that he doesn't have that and he'll never be great because right. of that. Um, and that's their hurt because they have two great players. That we want to see play really well. I love watching Kyrie. I love watching KD. But it's a struggle to see him on 104. It really is. It really is. And before we get to our last topic, uh, a player that I mentioned, John Morant, like with what he's doing, like how impressive has he been to you? Because like this guy just keeps getting better and better. This Memphis team can obviously be another really competitive team in the West. But what are your thoughts on what Ja is doing? And it just seems like every year he's adding a different a different part to his skill set. Mm-hmm. I think – if you talk to me before that draft, I have always said that he should have been drafted number one. Mm. I like Zion when he's healthy. He's scary. Like, especially now that he looks healthy. Yeah, he looks like, a lot different. He looks like, barring that bad injury that he had when he landed really hard. But he's he's really good when he's playing. Uh, ja has this kind of Derrick Rose, Allen Iverson, Michael Jordan-esque offense that you're scared watching him because you don't want him to get injured. Like, he, he's the he's the set reincarnation of Derrick Rose. It really, it's just truly. Like, the way yeah. that he drives and the way that he plays. But, man, he's the, I, in my opinion, he's the most exciting player to watch in all of, all of the NBA. Like, he's Absolutely. so fun. Yeah. Uh, and he's carrying this Grizzlies team. I think they're, what, 4-1 and one now? Mm-hmm. Um, so good. So fun to watch. But the really big success for them has been Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain has been playing out of his mind for the Memphis Grizzlies, and it's really helped. It's really helped them. Like John does not have to carry their offense anymore, as much as he has had in the past. Because Desmond Bain has made such an incredible improvement over last year, just like he did from the year before. Like two years ago, when you mentioned Desmond Bain, you just mentioned you just say who, but Desmond Bain has become to like a legitimate offensive scorer, and and a really great number number two besides John Morant, but John Morant is the most exciting player to watch in all of the NBA. Um, quickly, I, he's a top 10 player, yeah. bar none. He's, he's that good. Uh, and it's going to be really exciting to watch what they can do and, and see. I mean, they beat down the Nets, obviously. Um, but it's really exciting to see what John Moran has done. It really is. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm going to get into our last topic, kind of like most surprising uh, team to have a su- successful start to this season. Uh, a team that's, that's really stood out to me is Portland because, you know, they're 4-1. and one. Um, you know, Lillard has looked dynamic as ever, averaging 34 points, 5.3 rebounds, and 4.3 assists. Did, did have a recent injury and, and, and might be out for, for a little bit. But the way they started the season off, 
Um, it, it's really impressed me. And obviously, no longer having McCullum, they look extremely competent so far. But what team do you as kind of stood out? Because also at Utah, also at the Pelicans. But but what's kind of been your your pick? Well, I'll, I'll say with the Pelicans, I'm not surprised that they're doing this well. Right. Because I think with I thought with the healthy Zion and Brandon Ingram, like they've won games without both of them. Exactly. Yeah. What they did against games Phoenix. against really good teams, yeah. right? And they they were not in there, so I think I'm not surprised by them. I I I expected them to be really good, especially with the healthy Zion. I think that that tandem plays really well with each other. My my three before San Antonio's loss last night was Portland, Utah, and San Antonio. And the reason why Utah and San Antonio both predicted to have 24 and a half wins this season, they already have three, and and Utah now is four. They're four and one. And we thought that they were trading everywhere away. This is a, a tank season, tank for Wemby. Um, and, like, we're, I'm, I'm so shocked. I don't know how to talk right. about what's happening with them. <laughs> like, I don't understand how they've won four games. Like, I look at the roster, and it's like, that, this team? This team has won? But they play with such a great cohesion. And their coaching has been incredibly effective and to the point that they've won really good games. Obviously, Portland as well. I think. Uh, before the season, I mean, they're projected to win 39 and a half games, but there was a lot of concern about Dame. See if he was really into it. See if he was really there. Dame has played just like Dame plays. Like he's so good. Yeah. But I think uh, uh, one of the really biggest fake. things for them, I mean, they beat they beat the Kings, Suns, and the Nuggets, uh, which barring the Kings' massive disappointment, a lot of people were high on them this year. They're 0 and 4. So it's absolutely a travesty to see that that team play as bad as they have been. But Anthony Simons is a stud. I think he's averaging like 19 points a game or something like that. But uh, I think the reason why it's working is because Dame is actually trusting him with the final shot. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he's told him that. But he's trusting Anthony to, to go to work and, yeah. to, and to do something on offense. And Anthony's really uh, taken that. And I think when a, uh, when a teammate like Dame trusts you, Gives you that, that really helps with your confidence. Yeah. Right. And you have Jeremy Grant as your third option. You have Josh yeah, Hart yeah. and Joseph Berkitz as well. Like, Jeremy Grant is not a number one. We tried that in Detroit. It didn't work. But he's a great number three. Yeah, He's a great number three to have when one of your guys isn't healthy. So even I think a tandem between a Jeremy Grant and Anthony Simons is still a scary one, especially with how way Anthony Simons has played. Um, but you have Yusuf Nurkic still, Josh Hart, still good options on both offensive defense. Um, I just think the biggest concern for them was, was is Dame in it? Like, is Dame going to be good? Is Dame going to still be back with all the – the lack of winning that they've had in, in the playoffs, but Dame has played like Dame, and we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have doubted that. But they have, time. they have a yeah. couple of guys that have really just stepped up. Like I said, Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons have been playing really, really well. Um, and San Antonio, barring the last last loss last night, I mean, I don't, your I team. don't understand your team. I don't your understand guys. how they have three wins. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> our best player is Keldon Johnson, right? Who? Like, he's yeah, not the number one on any that? other team. <laughs> uh, and, but he's playing really well. He's averaging over 20 points a game. Uh, Jeremy Sohan last night played incredibly well. Where the first couple of the games of the season, he didn't have, like, a total of 10 points. But he's he's playing incredibly well, this rookie. Um, and, I mean, it's just Pop. Pop is showing himself still as the top two best coaches of all time. Yeah. Um, and I, don't, I still don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I would be shocked if they still have a winning record. But to go start three and one or three and two now after last night's loss to Minnesota, I mean the other night they played Minnesota again. They held Anthony Edwards to nine points. That's incredible. Yes, and they still big, have big 
They still have tied with the Nets, the second word, second most points per game given up in the league, and they're three and two. That's that's the struggle for me, because they're equal with the Nets on giving up the points. If they're three and two, and they're one of four, <laughs> and they have KD and Kyrie, so there's something. Obviously, that's why I think one of the biggest things is coaching, and the biggest thing is defense and cohesion on the team. There's nobody on the Spurs that can really have a big head about anything. Right. You can't. Ben Simmons has a big head for nothing, for no reason. Kyrie has a big head. KD has a big head. On, on the Spurs, there's just Kelvin. <laughs> and Kelvin's just Kelvin. And he's like, there's yeah. no reason for me to beg him. Like, I know I'm not. I shouldn't be a number one option on anything. <laughs> but here I am. And he's playing He's playing like it. He's playing really well. He's averaging over 20 points a game. Um, and Yaka Pearl is, is still incredible on defense and rebounding. Um, mm-hmm. So those are my teams, Portland, Utah, and San Antonio, but especially Utah. I think Utah is my breakout team because mm-hmm. they, they had predicted 24 and a half wins and they're 4 and 1. It's absolutely incredible. They have one six of the wins that they're supposed to have the rest of the season, um, yeah. and they're they're playing like a like a playoff contender with no playoff talent. So that's <laughs> so that's my thing. They don't have they don't have Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert, and they're still winning. It's incredible. Exactly. Well, Micah, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Always great uh, uh, catching up, breaking these topics down. Thanks so much for being back on, man. Awesome. I appreciate you having me. It was fun. Definitely. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with our review of the Irishman. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting to our view of the Irishman. I'm joined by two special guests. First, Max Petion, a good friend of the show who's been on the past. Thank you so much for being back on, Max. Uh, hey, guys. Thank you for having me again. I really, I really enjoy uh Yeah, man, definitely. Guys, so. and, Thanks for and our second guest, Trent Morales, has been on countless times in, 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 the, in the past. And uh, thank you so much for being back on, Trent. What's happening, y'all? Yeah, man, Cheers. definitely. <laughs> Cheers. Well, um, for the overview of The Irishman, it starts, uh, The Irishman is a 2019 epic crime drama film directed and produced by Martin Scorsese and written by uh, Steve Zillian, based on the 2004 nonfiction book I Heard You Paint Houses by Charles Brandt, starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, and Ray Romano. Uh, the film follows Frank Sharon, a truck driver who becomes a hitman involved mobster, with mobster uh, Russell Wefalino and his crime family, um, including his time working for the powerful teamster Jimmy Hoffa. Um, the film marks the ninth collaboration between directors Scorsese and De Niro, also the first collaboration between Scorsese and, and uh, Pacino in the fourth film, in which both uh, De Niro and Pacino appear in starring roles. It had a budget of $159 to $250 million and brought in $8 million to the box office, received numerous accolades and, and also uh, 10 nominations, including Best Director, um, and also nominated for five awards. But to you, Trent, to start this off, like, what were your initial thoughts on this film and how Scorsese kind of revisited familiar themes and had uh, j- just a poignant feel to it. Plus the profound effect it had. First off, this movie is so long. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is so long, bro, man. Yeah. I was, you know, uh, whenever this film came out, I had tons of friends who were like, but you gotta watch, you gotta watch it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. sounds good. It's just that, that, that runtime. It's like, it's just like, man, this is going to be a bear. I, I really, so I watched it for the first time this past week, and uh, I literally had to watch it like three different like sit downs, like Set it up, yeah, break I, yeah, it up. <laughs> just I broke it up in, like three different watches. And uh, but no, I mean you know overall, I mean it's it, it kind of checks all the boxes of like uh, kind of that mobster 60s, 70s, 80s like you know feel vibe, mm-hmm. all that stuff, right? Um, you know, whenever you see De Niro, Pesci, Pacino on a on the ticket, you know what you're getting from those guys, right? You know what you're getting from, of course, from Scorsese. Uh, even and I, I, I obviously admit this, like I'm not as deep 
into course into Martin Scorsese as some other people are like you like you Willinson. Right. Uh, I don't have like a ton of like catalogs like or like movies that I have in my belt that he directed. But what I have seen, you kind of know what you're getting from them, right? And I mean, this is kind of like it's in his wheelhouse, right? Yeah, this is this is his wheelhouse, right? About you know organized crime and how it is affecting kind of the everyday person. Um, like I said, De Niro, De Niro's De Niro, Pesci is Pesci. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's fun to kind of see him in a role that's not a the burglar from Home Alone, right? It's <laughs> he actually he actually has some chops, mm. right? He actually knows how to yeah. make this character well. Uh, and then Pacino, I mean, yeah, he's just Al Pacino. He's, he's always going to be loud. He's always going to be abrasive. Um, but but you know what? We love him for him because that's who he is, right? So, yeah, it came in a way, you know, just really um, – yeah, I think if you, once you kind of get into the story and you kind of, and you kind of see it hit its stride, it's a fun film to watch. It, it checks all of the mobster, you know, organized crime boxes, mm-hmm. and it's just it's a fun ride. Yeah, definitely. To you, Max, um, in, in terms of your initial thoughts on this film and what were your takeaways of it, obviously the the, the, the runtime of it was super long. What did what did you kind of think about this film and how it was put together with a really stacked cast? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it, it was crazy. Like, the amount of... Like, the people they had on there, you know, like, I mean, Robert De Niro doesn't come cheap, you know, Joe Pesci, like, you know, it's like, you know, this is the guy getting jacked mm-hmm. up on Home Alone and, and whatnot. And so I, I guess I, you know, for the amount of star power that was there, it was just like, man, this is like a really, I yes. chose an expensive film, but at the same, and at the same time, I guess I was looking for more of a, that Al Capone it, type yeah. movie, you know? And, and so it was, uh, I feel like it was a little more gutter. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. It was still like that mob life and, and whatnot, but it was like, you know, at least from the movies that I've seen in the past, uh, what's the one with the, with, is it Goodfellas? Oh my gosh. Oh, The Untouchables? Okay. Yes. You know, like, those guys seem to do things, like, very polished and whatnot. And, and, it, and like, I don't know, some of the, some of the scenes on the, in the movie were, they were, it's like the stuff that they did was uh, yeah. efficient, but it wasn't, like, how I would have imagined it gone. The previous you know, films. It, it was less Hollywoodized, it was more like... And he's like regular, he's like regular dudes out here just capping people. Like <laughs> breaking wrist on the you know, sidewalk. Like, like, goodness, man. It's like, bro, like, but I know. It, 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 I mean, it was a, it was a lot. Like you know, like just the intricacy of what all they, all the, all the things they were connected to, and the different character traits. Uh, you know, like I don't know. It, it was a, it was definitely like a lot to process. You know, it's. You know, it, like the movie, like yes. Tenet, mind-bending. Like, there's so yeah. many deep parts, but I feel like that movie was too fast. <laughs> I needed a little bit more detail because I still lost to this day. Whereas yeah, me and Trent has like no a lot of detail, me and has no at the same time. <laughs> We're big into that film. Yeah, yeah, but like this one was like you know, but when I look, when I think about it, like if you know, 
if you had a grandparent tell you a story, like sometimes they they they, they can be mm-hmm. long, you know. It's so it's the older guy mm-hmm. telling the story, so you know he's just recalling. You know, it's more like a life flashing before your eyes and slow yeah. motion. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think I think it was it was pretty cool, like to see the different characters interact and. Uh, you know, I don't think I, I don't think I really paid attention to how many movies De Niro and uh, Scorsese. What's the guy? Yeah, I did. yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I, that's together, what I wanted to get to. Thought, that was think, that was the next thing I wanted to get to, Trent, because like when you see a, a duo like that collaborate so many times, because I was watching one of the interviews that they did, Table for Four, uh, of the Irishman with with all those four actors with with Pacino, uh, Pesci, Pesci, um, and um, and De Niro. And, and even Scorsese, like they were talking about how Scorsese and De Niro, they grew up in the same neighborhood, knew each other from childhood, but like mm, kind of just, okay. they hadn't seen, they, they hadn't seen each other for, for years. And then they started to collaborate. Like, what are your thoughts on like when a duo like that collaborates for so many movies and kind of just even years later, s- still find, find ways to put, to put something out? Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it speaks to kind of like that, like people have that, that niche, right? And they kind of have that collaboration, that, that ability to kind of work together. Uh, I mean, you know, you could you could point to DiCaprio. It's the same way with Scorsese, right? I mean, right. he's been in so many Scorsese films. I, I what, what's, what's what he had been about like three or you know at least four, right? Right. Because so, yeah, yeah Gangs in New York, you had uh, the, the Departed, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street, and then Shutter Island, right? Yeah. Um. So that, yeah, that's like four films right there that he's already done with him. Um. And and Leo's still got a good probably you know you know, you know hopefully another like a good another thirty forty years you know with now of course. Scorsese doesn't have that because <laughs> right. he's, he's definitely an older guy, but you know, may, maybe you have at least two, maybe two or three other films with uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio. But you know, as far as the, the, the De Niro factor, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's what it does is I like, think the best, the best of the best find ways to bring people in who consistently push forward the vision of what they have. Right. Yeah. I mean, we see, we see no one do this uh, with um, Cecilia Murphy, uh, Tom Hardy, um, uh, Michael Caine, you know, those are kind of the guys that are consistently in every film Christopher Nolan does. Uh, even even if it's like a brief, like you know, like Tenet, you talk about you know Max brought up Tenet, you know, Michael Caine has a very small role in there, but he's in there, right? Because yeah. he just, I mean, there is a collaboration factor there. So, yeah, I think that's what that's what kind of keeps that intrigue there. Is that like, again, you kind of know what you're getting into with these guys. You kind of know what to expect. Um, and obviously I admit this, like, you know, I've, I've not seen Goodfellas yet. I haven't seen Taxi Driver and I haven't seen like the Casino, but you know, just reading Three off of, you know, kind of the, yeah, yeah, reading kind of the bio for them and seeing the cast, like I know what to expect from these movies. So yeah, I mean, I get it because that's who, who Scorsese is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and getting to our first topic from from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, I, I would go with three because this was an overall you know riveting film, and it's still a modern day uh, a monster type movie that contains fluid cinematography and, and grizzled gang violence. Um, I, I do still hold that notion of like I'm Goodfellas Casino watched countless times. To me, it still doesn't stack up to to, to those movies in terms of you know s- some of the fluidity of, of of certain parts of the scenes but to you max like from from your perspective like what would be your particular rating like from one to four stars for this film uh i'm gonna give it four Whoa, stars oh my Whoa. goodness sound the alarm sound the alarm somebody call save on sound the alarm the speed dial i mean well i'm gonna say i'm gonna say that because of like it, 
it, it like at some point you forget like these are like old men too. <laughs> like that is fair. In in real life that's and true. in the story. Yeah, yeah, that's a valid point. But you you know, like you you've seen people do movies and it's almost like 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 they they are like on auto zone. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. they're automatic, like they've done the same movie, work with the same director, like but you know, just the way they told the story and and you know, the different things that are just being like Oh, I, I, I'm thinking about one of the actors who talks about uh, no matter what the movie is, he wants to come in. He wants to know like what was his what was his character's mm-hmm. life like, you know, or how did they grow up? And like sometimes you know the movie might be a small thing, or they don't even think about right. those kind of things. But like you can tell the movie like this, like you can see like you know how Frank has to kind of go in between people and know when to say something no like the internal struggles like you can see like this is like a, a right. real struggle and you forget like you're watching De Niro and yeah. Chino, like all these guys who have done different movies that we know them from and it's like they pulled away from those still and we're able to put this together you know like I didn't realize even Joe Pesci in in uh De Niro or I think the same age or I think Pesci might be a year older. I was just like, I didn't realize, <laughs> you know. But I think they, I, th- I mean, I, I think they did a pretty good job, and and the way they, they uh, the acting and and you know how deep the characters mm-hmm. went, I thought it was pretty the good. Narration and narrate like yeah. the mm-hmm. Nero's n- narration was, it was like, you almost felt like you were a yeah. part of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm about to <laughs> catch somebody. <laughs> Get me going, man. Get me going. Yeah. No. Yeah, Max. I, I think. Yeah. I, I, I'm. I'm. Right now, I have. I have three on. You know, kind of what I have, and I. And honestly, that's attributed to kind of the length of the film. But but here's the deal. I mean, like, my goodness, The Godfather. All of them are just as long, right? You know. Yeah. I mean, I mean Godfather One is not as long as The Irishman. But I mean, there's some moments where it's like, you know, so I can't necessarily blame it on like, you know, on like it's like too slow. I don't think it's a slow film. I think it's just so long, and it feels like one of those things that, yeah, you know, maybe maybe you cut some things here or there. You don't go as deep into the character as you want. But I mean, but to Max's right. point, like, do you lose the, do you lose that feeling? Right? Like, okay, if uh, if we're going to understand like. Uh, um, some of the depth of some of these characters, and we have to go down that road that we're going down, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think it that's what kind of makes the film compelling, right? Because I mean, again, we're stepping into kind of the historical piece, right? So we have to understand, like, like why was Jimmy Hoffa so like bitter against like, the Kennedys? Why was this happening? Why was this? I mean, yeah, and you begin to understand the intric- the intricacies of these things, and it helps like bring to life the story, right? It's like it's like you know now I want to call my dad who grew up in this time period and be like, hey, d- hey, pops. Like, what do you know about Jimmy Hoffa? What do you know about this? What do you know about that? Right? right. I mean, um, but I mean, but also it kind of speaks to that time period, right? That it's just so filled with conspiracy and just kind of like dark shadows mm-hmm. that you know people don't really don't really know until you actually see it, you know, from from a you know a book's perspective. So, so for me, I roll three, and and, and honestly, it's going towards like I think to me this right now. I think 
in my own personal opinion, the the time is kind of what drags it down a little bit. But it's not, you know, the performances I think are great. You know, I think at this point, you know, I'm I'm convinced that some in his like past life, De Niro was a, was a gangster. Um, and he was he was probably capping some folks out right. there as well. So it's too natural. It's too natural for him. It's way too natural. Do for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I think like sometimes you 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 see the stars names in, you know, like I hate when people throw Oscars, Oscar noms at at movies just because they were olden times and a lot of the people who vote like I felt like they earned. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the way the film put together, like yeah. they didn't just mail it in. They like mm-hmm. they yeah. acted like for sure. Like you know, like this is like a master class. Like if they were doing a, a like you know, like we've seen these type of movies, but they're like okay, you know, you we're gonna make you feel or mm-hmm. think about it a different way. Definitely. Um, and, and now getting into favorite character, I personally would go with with Frank Sheeran because you know there were so many subtleties in his performance and him being you know a psychopathic hitman went along well with him struggling to feel anything um, as he kind of went along following the, following the orders he was given and then went through that like remorse uh, later in the film uh, to, to you, Max, like who would be your particular uh, favorite character in this movie? Uh, I would say Russell was, was one of them because I almost felt like Russell was the teacher who who learned along the way how to do things that he does. And I think, you know, Frank kind of was the disciple in a sense. And, you know, like, but Russell wasn't really, it's like Russell understood the game. He wasn't, quote unquote, in charge, but he was in charge. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, how he how he, he knew what to say, when to say it, you know, like even that scene where where dude pull up pull, pulls up on him like, you know, young cat don't care about nothing. And then, you know, Frank sits down, he just looks at him. I was like, Oh man, somebody about Oh that. yeah, that go ahead. You, that you go know ahead. how they kept yes. telling you they kept telling you what's about to happen. I was like, I like that they didn't tell us there, but we all knew like, oh snap. Well, <laughs> thanks for coming. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's just it is just crazy that you know they never see that coming, but I I just thought like you know the way he went about things, even like you know talking about the trip they're taking, like, you know, old guys and and the way he just carried himself, he like he tells people when what to do and and but he also stayed within the power boundaries that mm. you know he was given, even though he knows he had yeah. a lot more power than that. So I, I like I like his uh, character. To, to you, Trent, who would kind of be your overall um, favorite character in this movie? Man, yeah, you know, I was super intrigued with Peggy all throughout this movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she, um, you know, it's this character who is witnessing her father do all these things. Right? It's like every time he goes to leave in the middle of the night, she's there. Every time there's a brutal moment where he kind of teaches my a lesson, she's there. She's there. Um, and you know, but, it, but it's funny how she's also one of the closest people to like Jimmy Hoffa. Right. So I think she almost like looked to Jimmy as a, as someone who was more of a father figure to her than her own dad was. Right. So it's like, I think her innocence is just robbed from her again and again and again. Um, 
just by virtue of her father's actions being kind of done to her, right? Or done around her, right? Um, and, you know, and of course, we always hear the gangster excuse, right? You know, the Walter White excuse of everything I do, I do for this family. But it's like, yeah. no, you're, you're actually ruining your family by doing this, right? You know, he divorces his wife, um, you know, takes the kids and then he gets married and on and on and on, right? Um, but it's almost funny how, like, again, like her, like, you know, I almost, I almost wonder, like, on a, on a rewatch, what a, would it come across more of like she draws like intimacy and fatherly affection from Jimmy to scorn her father, right? To make it to make right. him feel the guilt of like the way that he was just absent from her life. You know, it's one of the instances, and it happens you know very frequently, right? Where a dad can be quote unquote present but be absent at the same time. You know, absent emotionally, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so seeing her character kind of develop all throughout the movie, and then Anna. Uh, Pacquian, I think that's how you say her last name. Yeah, she always kind of holds it down whatever film she jumps into. Um, And just um, just seeing that kind of play out and just like the regret that, you know, that he is left with. Yeah, Frank is left with at the end of this film just speaks to the way that he just missed a mark, right? And um, yeah, the the, the scene when he goes to the bank and she just like puts the... Puts clothes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like his clothes and and walks away. I mean, just heart-wrenching, right? And um, so, I mean, she was was kind of that emotional tug that kind of kept the film grounded at times, right? You know, anytime, like, again, you you would see him, like, going up in the middle of the night. He's like, you know, Daddy, where are you going? I'm I'm going to work. And, yeah, now she knows, she knows her father's going to do some pretty terrible things. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, uh, and it's sad to see. Yeah, definitely. Um, and now moving on to most memorable scenes, I had uh, Frank avenges uh, Peggy. Also, always charge a gun with a knife. You run the killing of Crazy Joe Gallo, Jimmy's final moments, Frank's phone call, and then finally the, the final shot. Um, to you, Max, were there any like scenes in here that that you kind of went back at to 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 look at it as like the most memorable ones overall in this movie? Uh, definitely the one where. Uh... What's the dude's name? My goodness, the, the young guy, Cat. When they, you know, when he when he tries wrestle and, and you know, for, oh, okay. to chill and like that was like, I felt like that was coming, like it was teed up to happen that way. But the way they did it was like, you know, like hey, like I'm not I'm not the mm-hmm. boss, but I'm a boss, like. You know, like, and it goes back to that scene where him and Frank are talking. And he's like, "Yeah, Jimmy's, Jimmy's, you know, higher up." He's like, "No, yeah, not like that." You know what I'm saying? There's like, levels. There's yeah. levels to this, and you know, the, you know, the young cat didn't respect that, and so that, that way that whole scene unfolded. Like, you know, Frank was talking about him saying he does, he does whatever, he doesn't care about anything. But then, in that in that case, it actually backfired on him. Because you can do that to other people who aren't right. as important, but then you do that to an important person. Hey, man. But then the watermelon scene. <laughs> you guys were feeling like, like watermelon. I'm like, I, 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 I didn't think about that, but that's like, that's yeah. kind of anal- innovative. <laughs> in it's like, you know, you, you know, you, you know your people, you know? Definitely. <laughs> Like you can't do that with like sick. You can't do that like if someone wants to right. smoke, 
but you know, alcohol is like it just gets absorbed in so many things. Like I was like, you the watermelon. I'm just like, you want some? Just, what is, what is, what is, wasn't something I would think like would be in yeah. in a scene like that mm-hmm. in a place like that. It was just like because it's always associated with like black people and you know people of color, or whatever and watermelon. But I'm just like, it was just like a, a funny like the yeah. whole thing. There yeah. it, it, it's, it's kind of it's kind of a part a, a point of that like Scorsese irreverent humor, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's like ways that he just like throws in those little tidbits. I'm like, oh, that's really irreverent. It's so kind of off the wall, but it works, right? It works for that moment. Yeah, but it almost it, it it almost gave me a little bit of anxiety though. I felt like I was waiting for the moment where like uh, Jimmy was like, you know, smells the alcohol yeah. or something. But you know, maybe that maybe you know, not being someone who drinks like he doesn't really have a a connection or idea of like mm-hmm. what they were doing. So. So you trend like were there any like overall memorable scenes in this one that you kind of feel like were the main standouts? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you kind of you kind of you stole my three. Uh, well, that's an, uh, yeah. So like the the um, yeah the the moment with Frank and then just Peggy is like really mm-hmm. powerful. It just like you know pulls a grocery guy out of there. It, it, it's something that you know it's always funny. It's like um, um, you know like you see this man get beat up in broad daylight where his hand gets like broken and all that kind of stuff. Risk gets broken. And people are just like, oh, it's just another Monday, right? <laughs> it's just, it's keep, it's keep it moving on. Typical. Uh, someone, someone said, uh, I heard this week, it's uh, DF and K. <laughs> you can put those together. It's like, hey, when you, when you become a dad, oh, it's oh, like, oh, true. I mean, like, listen, Max, I mean, there, there are legitimate moments like where, you know, if I feel like my son is being threatened or his like safety is, and I also feel with my wife too. It's like, it's like something just like rises up and I'm like, yo, I got to check myself. Cause I don't want to do something foolish right now. Right. Or say that the foolish. Right. So y'all yeah. act right. Cause yeah, I ain't trying to be on. That's right. That's right. That's right, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just, I mean, that was a really powerful moment. Again, I think kind of leads to the development of Frank's character and also Peggy's as well. Um, the, the the yeah that that whole sequence of, of of the movie where they are luring Jimmy in and trying to you know and ready to take him out and, and do I mean, just like kind of the moment of like oh Frank is the one that ends up pulling this trigger right it wasn't somebody else right. so just really uh, really kind of settles in a way of like oh that's that's just dirty man um and in that final scene yeah. you know just like um and, and maybe we could riff on this a little bit later but just like the way that he just looks at the priest and says hey father would you just leave the door open for me. And mm. and just you know the camera, you know pans back and it's just yeah you know, all you see is Frank sitting right there in the crack of the door, and screen face to black credits roll right. Um, it's like oh it's not like man that's a fascinating, um, fascinating scene. Yeah, I'll throw one more in there right. Um, when, when when it's revealed who Frank is talking to the entire movie, oh it's like he's talking to two FBI dudes right. Yeah, and uh, and just like. You know, he he they're, they're sitting in the, the little courtyard area, and uh, and man, them OG gangsters is like, I ain't got nothing to say. Never gonna give it up. Never gonna. Never give gonna. It up. Never gonna Ever. give it up. Ever. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it it kind of connects to when Jimmy left the door open when Frank was in his suite. You know, like 
not one to be boxed mm, okay. in yeah, in a yeah, sense. Yeah, but if you think point. about it, the life that Frank lived, it was like that same feeling, but because of everything that he did, it was like instead of, instead of them, you know, Scorsese, and Frank died, you know, in, in, the, in the nursing home. Like he was already dead because mm, he right. boxed himself in. He was alone, not, you know, like nothing to show for it. And, and just the stories and like, you know, even talking to the FBI, I was like, it, it, it's not like a, a snitching and like, in a sense, like I just need a tail. So I'll get in trouble kind of thing. But it's like been holding on to these stories and it's like, just want to hear right. them or yeah. talk to somebody about it. Almost in a sense, it's like some weird right. kind of therapy <laughs> going through. You know? Yeah. <laughs> kind of wild. Um, and, and now getting into most memorable quotes I had, uh, I heard you paint houses. Also, Whatever anybody says, they're a little concerned. They're very concerned. Uh, you never know by looking at this guy, but all roads led uh, back to Russ. Um, you charge a guy, also always charge, charge with a gun. With a knife, you run away. Run away from a knife, so you charge with a gun. With a knife, you run. Um, also, you, you don't know how fast time goes by until you get there. And finally, you might be demonstrating a failure to show appreciation. Um, to you, Trent, were there any quotes in here that, that you kind of felt as though were, were some of the ones that resonated the most throughout mm-hmm. this movie? Yeah, I think yeah, I had three that kind of stood out. So the first one was like Jimmy Hoffa. If I said it once, I said it a thousand times. I don't care if they're Irish. I don't care if they're Catholic. If there's one person you can't trust in this life. It's millionaires' kids. <laughs> like <laughs> straight up. Um, and, it, and so this is the conversation between Whispers and Frank. It's like to tell you the truth, I'm a little concerned. It's like narrator. Whenever anybody says they're a little concerned, they're very concerned. Yeah. Whispers. As a matter of fact, I'm really more than a little concerned. Narrating, and when they say they're a little more than they're a little more than, than a little concerned, they're desperate. And, and again, yeah, that kind of actually speaks to what Max was talking about earlier, right? Like that whole scene where Whispers tries to get Frank to take out this whole laundry facility, then plays into Russell saving Frank's life from getting killed, right? Because mm-hmm. because we had that moment where he goes back to the restaurant, sits down at the table, and it's like, oh, like, like you know, you're basically you're basically about to rob me of the interest that I have in this company, right? And Russell saves mm-hmm. Frank's life in that moment. And the final one I have, uh, Frank Sharon, three people can keep a secret only if two of them are dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that those, those were some, some, every quote in here, I feel as though, like, like you said, with the narration part of it, mm-hmm. it was, it was translating what was, what was the message that, that was made throughout the film. Like uh, another thing for, 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 that I wanted to, to, to get to Trent, like, like to you, like, do you feel as though the regret part, like at the end of this movie, like always showing like, the remorse we see it in all my movies, but especially in this one, do you think that last thirty minutes was was like really necessary to kind of tie tie the bow together? Because if we don't get those last thirty minutes, we don't really see the the regret that Frank was feeling like throughout the movie and all the things that he had to do that he eventually um, just felt remorseful about. You, you know, it, it it would feel that way, Wellington, if we didn't have the the those those snippets all throughout the movie itself. Uh, yeah. You know, this, this movie kind of bounces from timeline, you know, from like past to, you know, more present to like future and bouncing back and forth. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, because I mean, obviously you see it in the way that the characters age and de-age back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right. So, yeah, I think if we if we don't have that in all scattered throughout the film and the way that he's talking and narrating and all that kind of stuff, I think we definitely we, we definitely would have missed that. That part of that yeah. and, and, it would, and 
probably those last 30 minutes feel a little more forced than they than they could have. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I do think it's necessary because, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, yes. I mean, do, do we want the bad guys to get away? Do we want them to succeed? I think there's obviously times we want to feel that, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but at the end of the day, too, we also want justice. We want the right yeah, thing to be done. Always, yeah, yeah even, even if it's not, if, it, if it's not accomplished. It obviously, that did not happen in this film. But but also, I want you to feel bad for the dirt you did, right? Like, I want you to feel the remorse of like, you know, you lost your family, bro. Like, you threw it all away. You had it all, and you threw it all away. And I yep. want you to feel the sorrow of that. Definitely. Uh, to, to you, Max, like, what were your uh, memorable quotes in the in this movie that that you kind of felt as though uh, were were the top ones or or the ones that you kind of kept going back to? Uh, I think one is uh, you don't know how fast time goes until you get there. That's one. That's one of them. And uh, where's the other one? The one about uh, they send the divers down in the river. <laughs> you know, a yeah. small country. <laughs> you know, I was like. At some point, I'm going to have to build <laughs> awesome, up or man. something. Like somebody, yeah. you know, like that was just crazy. That was just crazy. Uh, you know, three people can keep a secret only when two of them are dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like some of the some of them stays there. Just like they're like a yeah, foreshadow. Really. It's like if you get to that part, you should probably be like, you know, do some introspection, introspection. If it, you know, introspect. I got you, man. We got you, man. <laughs> we got you. Inner thinking <laughs> of what you're tra- what you're trying to uh, what you're yeah. what you're what you're doing and how that relates. You know, you know, look at Frank. You know mm-hmm. where he ends up. You know, it's all alone and like. And I think it's like too, like just the fact that he was a soldier and you know whatever PTSD you get from that, and then you're almost always at war right. doing what you're doing and so there's only so much humanity you can have being a, mm. a house painter <laughs> <laughs> um and, and now getting yeah and, and now getting into what did you like the most about the storyline um t- to me just how it explored you know universal themes of grief regret um growing old in memory i i thought was really potent and it's it is a slower take and a slower and sadder take on a crime film but still makes for, for an absorbing watch um to you, Max, like what particular element of this storyline uh, did you kind of like the most? I think uh, I was just thinking, like you know, something that makes these, you know, it seems like a lot of these, you know, gangster movies and whatever generation genre, it's always that loyal guy who, uh, you know just makes everything work like you can't have or grow these you know crime families or whatever without that one stable loyal person who's be down for whatever i think like like russell was that and frank at the same time like they they both had that kind of like you know it wasn't like they they were like foot right. foot mats but they 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 understood they understood the game and they and you know that loyalty 
helped out a lot. So you don't really spend so much time talking about, you know, the big boss because, you know, Russell handles things. You know, I think it's a certain amount of like, it, it felt like a certain amount of, if Russell makes himself useful, knows how to handle things, keeps the heat off the boss and, you know, you know, brings mm-hmm. prosperity to the boss and, and whatnot, like, you know, that's, you know, that makes that machine work. Right. And so the whole theme about the loyalty, you know, but it also like has its like flaws too. And, you know, I think that played out as well. Uh, you know, I, I think of the quote that talks about like power corrupts, absolute mm-hmm. power corrupts, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so you can see that with Jimmy, uh, you know, Jimmy was more loyal to his, his cause and, you know, for himself, you know, whereas, you know, everybody's looking out for themselves, but, you know, some people know when to look out for the bigger picture. Right. Uh, and so, you know, Russell did that really well, like, in, in a sense, uh, you know, and he was a flashy about it, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, I think that's a lot of stuff that, that Frank learned, too. Like, you want to you grow and you want to move. Like, this guy, you know, even, like, from the beginning, he knew, like, something was up. With, with, like, Russ seemed to yeah. be real important, you know. And, and, you know, when you see that, you're like, I want to, you know, I want to do something like that. And so I think that part of that, big part of that was the loyalty. Aspect. Yeah, to, to you, Trent. Yeah, go ahead. And Scorsese and De Niro. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Those guys working together that also yeah, yeah. kind of ties in. Absolutely. Uh, to you, Trent, like what particular element of this storyline did, did you kind of like the most overall? Um, yeah, as somebody who really enjoys kind of the history of our country and all kinds, of, and kind of like you know hearing and learning more about it, like to just kind of see that era in a in, this, in, a, in a different in a different way, like you know, like you had this like working man and uh, and Frank who's trying to kind of again like kind of I think he starts off with a true pursued just trying to provide more for his family put more put more bread on the table right um right. and uh and just you know kind of like the the demands that it takes upon him to like okay you know, if you're going to if you're going to you want to get more you got to give more right and you're going to continue to give and give and give until you know ultimately you're so deep in you can't get out right and i think we kind of see that today and not necessarily not that we have like mobs running around or anything like that but like we just have people kind of <laughs> Do we not? <laughs> that man got all the way up in the camera, <laughs> all the way up. Zoom in. <laughs> uh, but um, just but you know, just like so just just kind of seeing again another kind of piece of that organized crime, right? Mm-hmm. And how like they had their fingers in everything, right? Oh, it, something comes up, we got this guy to handle it. Something comes up, we got this guy to handle it, right? Oh, you you need to get off. We got the lawyer for that. You need to. To, to sway the votes or something, we got to <laughs> like that that scene where like that one guy um, keeps getting back in line and voting. <laughs> it, it, it went to Multiple thing. times, yeah. Like, took, took down the names of all those people. And it's like boom, boom, boom. All right, the people the people in the office are now voted into office, right? So, uh, so just seeing kind of those things kind of you know brought to light, but you know, just showing how I many I think you know people, you know, you you push men to the brink of desperation. Sometimes they'll do whatever it takes to kind of get what they want, right. Definitely. Um, and getting to 10 years from now, do you still think it'll be watchable and intriguing? This is one of the toughest watchable and intriguing questions I think we've had in a while because you look at a film like this, it's super long, super weighty. 
but it's also dropped in an era where we aren't seeing as many long films. Like to, to, to you, Trenton, do you think 10 years from now this will still be a watchable and intriguing movie? I think the runtime may scare some people away. Um, I think the, you know, it'd be interesting to see, like, you know, would this be better absorbed if it was like a a three-part miniseries, right? I mean, truly, like, if they if they went back and, like, re-edited the film and cut up into three parts, and people would be like, oh, yeah, yeah I want to watch time. this. Yeah, yeah, I'll watch this. Um, but, I mean, if, you, if he's like, oh, you're going to, you know, commit, you know, three hours, you know, and again, I, I, I think what people need to understand is, is that you don't have to watch this film. You know, this is this is kind of one of those. Like, literally, like I was able to kind of like, all right, let me get to this scene. Let me get this scene break. You know, cut right there. Intermission. It, it, yeah, the, 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 the film the, the film actually does a pretty good job of kind of like you're able to find those areas where I say, okay, I can pause here and I can pick up whatever I'm ready. Right. Um, so I think this, the the, you know, the runtime may scare some folks, and, and I think truly truly well into. It. I think that you know this genre of movie. Um, doesn't doesn't attract a. I mean, it, it obviously it attracts a decent enough audience for these movies to get made, right? Because people right. will eat this stuff up. I mean, when you, I mean, goodness, I, I went back and started rewatching The Godfather yesterday. This movie is, you know, almost. I mean, it's, it is fifty years old, mm-hmm. and it's just as good today uh, as it know. was when it first came out, right? Yeah. I mean, people still revisit this stuff over and over again. So. Um, as with this, as how this question goes, how I kind of feel about most films when we, when we come to this question, it, it's always going to have that that group of people who go to it because that's just their that's their niche and they love yes. this stuff. Um, but I think the average consumer will probably be like, "Nah, I'm good. Pass." Yeah. You know, I'll I, I'll go read the uh, review on IMDb and keep it moving. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it definitely does feel that way. Like to to you, Max. Um, ten years from now, do you still think this will be a watchable, intriguing movie? I kind of, I kind of agree, agree with uh, uh, Trenton. It's like a, I think this is the trade-off from being on a network, like a cable network, yeah. versus Netflix, because you can be scrolling through like HBO, and then you, it catches your eye. Next thing you know, you're you know three-hour movie, you didn't know it. Because you didn't know how long it was, you know, but on Netflix, it puts it right there. And you're like, yeah, I got some things to do today. And, you know, I'm the type of person, I like to finish the movie Same. in one setting. Yeah. Like, I hate to break up movies. You and may stuff. never get it's back in, to it. I'm like, especially if it's, especially if the, if what you watch was good, it's like, oh man, I don't want it to end. So I'm just going to like save it for a little bit. Take yeah. a minute to go back to it. You know, but I, I mean, I think, but I I think some of the like social things that are happening that are represented in the movie, you know, like you know, think about how they talk about gangs and stuff now in, in urban neighborhoods. It's like they they were doing this before these neighborhoods were constructed, you know. Like so, I feel like maybe some of the social elements that the movie has may be kind of like. They throw some people off. Like, oh, we don't watch another mob, you know, mob movie. But I, I still think, I think, you know, like the the star power and the acting, you know, might still pull people people into it. You know, just to, you know, maybe if you want to learn, you know, you maybe not you don't you didn't like that environment. You know, team steers and and all these things and the way they did unions and, but you know. 
maybe that's a better, you know, if, you know, always probably a better history lesson, to, you know, it's a better way to digest history, you know, than through like, you know, a movie like that. It gives you some opportunity to those things. So I don't know. I, I think I think I think it's about yeah, and I can see how it could you know mm-hmm. may not be because it's, it's like preference a, as well. Because just like you said, Trent, some people are going to be like, why would I watch this when I could watch The Godfather or I could watch there there are so many other mob movies that are more revered. This one, mm-hmm. it, it's like you said, it, it's on it's on Netflix, but some some are going to feel like it's just too long winded. Um, but before I want to do one bonus question with with like kind of like other favorite Martin Scorsese movies. Um, to you, like, I, for me personally, I go Goodfellas, Taxi Driver, and then The Departed. The Departed is, a, is another one, a little more recent. I mean, 06 compared to the the, the uh, first two films I mentioned. Great, ca- great cast as well. To you, Trent, are there any other Scorsese films that you kind of have as, as like some of your favorites? So as I mentioned earlier, I, I don't have a deep catalog as far as Scorsese films that I've watched, uh, but I have enough to do the top three that I have so far. So... Uh, um, so for me, I'm going to the Departed. Um, man, that that cast is just so so good. Leo Wahlberg, I mean, just it's a dream cast. Yeah, Damon, keep rolling them out there, right? Um, I'm going to go next one is Silence. I don't think a lot of people talk about Silence. You know, um, it's a kind of a low key Scorsese film, and uh, it, it just it, it's interesting too because I mean, you can, he kind of I think he kind of opens himself up to you know his Catholic roots and his upbringing. And, and, you know, just, you know, again, another one is an uh, amazing cast, Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver. I mean, just, you know, really good. Um, definitely a slow burn for sure. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is a long, slow film, which I think it's, I think it's kind of the, I feel like we're saying this over and over again. It's like a Scorsese thing, right? <laughs> he, it is. He makes these long films. <laughs> Um, but yeah, me I love and Savon Silence. say it all the time. It feels like you're doing overtime when you're watching these Scorsese films. Man. <laughs> that's it. it like that's it. it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then, and then, and then I'll roll. You know, so for me, I, I have two left. I have The Irishman and Gangs of New York. Um, and I just thought between the two, I think I think The Irishman comes off a little better. And again, I think Gangs of New York is a solid film. It's a, you know, but I felt myself kind of getting more bored with Gangs of New York. Yeah. Even I think the cat. Cast is great. You got Leo. You got um, uh, who's the who's the guy who's the, the method actor? I'm trying to think about his name right now. Um, oh goodness, he played Lincoln years ago. Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. I mean, yeah, good, great cast of people, yeah, right? Um, but yeah, I just think that the Irishman stood out a little bit better to me, and I think the cast is just a little bit stronger. Um, the story's a little bit more intriguing, um, and, and the pace is just a little bit better, even though it's obviously a longer film. The Irishman is. I think the pace is a little bit better uh, for this film compared to the Gangs of New York. Yeah, and and, and for, for you, Max, to, to close it out, are there any other Scorsese films you would kind of have listed as as some of your other favorites? Shark Tales. This man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm wilding. I'm wilding. Uh, you know what I realized, though? Like, I've seen parts mm, of many yeah, of his yeah. movies, but I, I, I think so. I'm trying to remember them. I think if I watch them again, I'd be like, oh, I've seen all of these. I mean, I've yeah. seen the whole of this or that, but, uh, you know, I mean, you got Goodfellas, uh, 
you know, obviously Irishman, you really said that. But I, I, some of, even some of those ones that turn in bits and pieces. Like those, yeah. And so, like, for me, it's kind of hard to kind of be like, boom, this one. Because sometimes films are always on TV. They're always on TV. You see little parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll scroll and catch it and be like, or, you know, like, taxi. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm not sure what happened to my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, Oh, man. It's on a a timer. So, I think it just hit my, uh, hold on. Let me uh, bring my light back on. Well, Trin, do you, it, now, now I'll give I'll give you one more question, uh, Trin. Okay. In terms okay. of in terms of Scorsese going forward, go. do you feel as though he's got maybe like one more film in him, or because because I heard he, he's creating uh, another film with, with DiCaprio? Do you feel as though it's one of those things where he he kind of knows that okay, obviously he's getting near the end of his career, but do you think he he may have one more like masterpiece in him, or is it one of those things where he's going to like pace himself to, to see like how his career plays out? Yeah, I think he does. I think, you know, is he going to have kind of like one last two raw, right? Because mm, yeah, um, exactly. he, he, he's he's not a young man by any means. He, he's got, and I think he has to make this one count. You know, if, if you're going to go out, go out with a bang. And uh, so, but it, it's interesting. If you go like look at his like IMDb credits right now, apparently he's got tons of films, like tons of things lined up right now as far as like producing and directing, which I mean, yeah. again, I think, you know, if you're just kind of sitting in the boardroom saying, yes, it sounds good. I mean, you can obviously stack those credits up, right? But yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Like, is he got is he got one more in the chamber that he's going to like give to the whole world, um, and then like just let it ride and let it uh, become a become a masterpiece in of itself. So yeah, yeah. it'd be interesting to see if he can get that one last you know big cinematic claim, and, uh, and then yeah, we we get left with that. Definitely. Well, Trin and Max, it's been an absolute pleasure having you guys on. And uh, thanks so much for doing this. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. Yeah, man, definitely. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm Post Winter Burns. This has been Full Scope. See you later.